Hello, welcome to Chapter 3 Podcast, the show for readers of science fiction, fantasy, and romance. This is Season 1, Episode 14. I'm Bethany, your host, and today I'm joined by Alan from the YouTube channel, The Library of Alexandria, to discuss the Discworld books by Terry Pratchett. If you want to support the podcast and get early access to episodes and exciting bonus content from our guests, check out our Patreon linked in the show notes. And as an added bonus, right now, anyone who joins as a patron at the Trope Fiend level and above between now and May 1st will receive a custom Chapter 3 Podcast logo sticker and a mystery book in the mail. Very exciting, so go check that out. And a big thank you to all of our patrons with a special shout out to our world-expanding patron, Trina. Your support helps make this possible. Before our conversation today, it's time for On My Radar, where I share recent or upcoming book releases in science fiction, fantasy, and romance I'm excited about, and then our guests will have the opportunity to share one as well. The books for today's episode will be released between March 31st and April 13th, 2021, with the exception of the guest recommendation, which may include any upcoming release. First up, on April 6th, I've got four books I want to talk about. We have Occulta by Maya Montaigne coming out. This is the sequel to Nocturna, which is a YA fantasy set in a Mexican-inspired world, dealing with the consequences of colonization, and it has one of the creepiest villains I've read in YA anytime recently. Definitely interested to check out the sequel. Also on April 6th, we have One Thing Leads to a Lover by Susanna Craig. This one is a historical romance following a widowed mother and a member of the British intelligence. I thought this one was really fun. It's got a little bit of a mystery subplot to it. Really, I think, underappreciated series. Then The Intimacy Experiment by Rosie Dannon is a modern romance following a porn star turned sex educator and the progressive young rabbi who hires her to teach a series on modern intimacy at his synagogue. It's smart and thought-provoking and I think genuinely romantic. I think this is going to be a real crowd pleaser. Then we have House of Hollow by Crystal Sutherland. This one's a YA thriller with magical elements and it looks amazing. I've not read it yet, but I plan to very soon. It follows three sisters who disappeared as young girls, and when they reappear, they begin to change in strange ways. Then there's two books coming out on April 13th that I want to highlight. The Light of the Midnight Stars by Rena Rossner is a fairy tale inspired novel that combines fantasy, history, and Jewish folklore. I really love the first book by this author, and I look forward to this one. She's got this really gorgeous writing style that I think will be lend itself well to the fairy tale-esque element. And the last book is Malice by Heather Walter. This one is a dark retelling of Sleeping Beauty, where the princess falls for the evil sorceress, which sounds really cool. So I have high hopes for this one. <laughs> With that said, please join me in welcoming Alan to the show. Thank you for joining me. Woo! Thanks for having me. This is super fun. Yes, I'm excited. Um, if you want to briefly introduce yourself to our listeners and share your pick for an exciting upcoming release. Okay, um, I'm Alan Walker. Um, I uh, My YouTube channel is the Library of Alexandria, where I talk about, I mean, fantasy and science fiction, mostly fantasy. <laughs> um, I'm also by day a uh, classics teacher in high school, and so I tend to talk about that kind of stuff too, like Greeks and Romans, things like that. Um, my my pick for the upcoming release is <laughs> The Fall of Babel, which is coming out, I think, November 9th by Josiah yeah. Bancroft. And it is book four of the Books of Babel, or the Senlin books, as I call them. And mm -hmm. with the setup from book three, man, I don't even know what setup's left to do. Like, it is just going to be nothing but like, I don't know, uh, climax <laughs> for, the, for the book four. But I am so excited. That's awesome. I still need to read book three, but I've read the first two books. and that's oh, such you read the first series. two? Awesome. Yeah, I, yes. I thought you'd only read the first one. I just read the second one last month. 
Did you really? I did. Yes. Did you like it? <laughs> I did. It was great. I loved it. Uh, yeah. The characters, like I just so like good. the extra characters you get in the second one are just so Ah, so good. Yeah, it adds a lot to it. And I appreciate too, every time, whenever I can find a male fantasy author who writes good female characters, yes. not all of them do, like this was, this was very good. 100%. I tell people that the, the, those three female characters in Arm of the Sphinx are just, mm -hmm. they're, they're so good, like, which is, you know, unusual for, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> for fantasy books but and it's it gets even it gets even better in the third one yes, uh, even awesome. more character work i'm excited for it i'm excited yeah so i do plan to read the third one soon too hopefully nice. before the fourth one comes out yes awesome good pick um okay so tonight we are going to talk about discworld alan is a big fan and yes. is actually was the catalyst for getting me to dip my toes into this world um so i just a couple days ago finished my very first Discworld book. I read Guards Guards, so we can talk about that. But I also want to hear from you a little bit about your background in this and we can talk more broadly about the world. And hopefully this will be helpful for listeners who are interested or who are already fans. We can kind of get yeah. into all that. Well yeah. my um my Discworld background in high school, um a one a friend of mine recommended um Hogfather, which is one of the death subseries of Discworld mm -hmm. books, because um, I'd always read fantasy, you know, growing up, and I read it and I loved it. And this one, death essentially has to become Santa Claus because the Santa Claus figure gets kidnapped, and so you know, the Grim Reaper is Santa Claus, which is just an awesome premise. And yeah. it was just so bizarre. And you know, I've always like I've always liked words and what what like what Pratchett does with his prose and like the puns he makes and just mm -hmm. the, the pop cultural references. Like I was sold. And so I started the series from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Didn't love the first two books. Like the first two books that he ever wrote, like chronologically are really more of a, like kind of a parody of, a, of like the sword and sorcery, uh, barbarian kind of fantasy books before okay. he really hit his stride with guards. Guards is really the first book that I think, where it has all of the elements of Discworld that I really love. Mort, his fifth book, Mort, um, or book four, Mort, was really where it started shaping up to be like what Pratchett books would become. Mm -hmm. But really, I think I think everything kind of comes together in Guards, Guards, which is why I um, always recommend people to start there. And then from there, like all of his books have like, you know, the standard Pratchett fare. And it's just, uh, it's just so good. And it really, I read... I've read all of them except I stopped reading fantasy for like 10 years. And oh, wow. so all the books that were published after I stopped reading reading for fun, I have not actually caught up on. But I've read oh. most of the Discworld books. Okay. And Pratchett and his humor, along with like things like like Eddie Izzard and like British humor has just so <laughs> it's just so defined like what I find funny. Mm -hmm. And so really like a lot of the stuff that I, that I do and say like on my YouTube channel or just in my own writing or, or in my classes when I'm like lecturing something, just, they still have their roots in, in the Discworld and the stuff that Pratchett mm -hmm. always used to do. Um, like just words that have double meaning and, you know, clever puns and, um, yeah. a little bit of the absurd. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's fun. I, you know, I had a good time reading it. And I think especially early on, like the, the humor is very reminiscent to me of Monty Python. Yes. It's a lot of what it reminded me of, which I find mm -hmm. funny. So I was laughing quite a bit. I do think, um, and maybe part of this is because I was reading it. I, I tend to read books quicker. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it was a 
a long book for that. Maybe if I'd read it in shorter chunks, like I would have continued to, I don't know, like, cause I still found lots of it very funny, but um, I, I, it's, it's weird though. It doesn't have chapter breaks. Are all the books like that? Until like later on. Yes. Um, I think like somewhere around in the thirties, like uh, going postal, I think, uh, is the first book that had chapters and it's like in the thirties with his books, but yeah, none of, none of them have chapters. They just have that, the POV breaks. Yeah. That's so interesting. It was definitely a, a weird experience trying to figure out, okay, like where, what's a good stopping point? I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And guards, guards, yeah, it can feel a little long for, mm-hmm. for just what's going on in that particular book Yeah, because you only have the four, the four watchmen. You've got Vimes, Carrot, Cole mm-hmm. and Knobs, but as the watch books, which are my favorite of the subseries, because I just like that kind of detective mm-hmm. uh, noir kind of um, motif. Um, it becomes the guards books become Pratchett's way of addressing like the social issues of the time, like yeah. and the watch continues to expand. Like I, I read somewhere where it says like someone Vimes is uh, Vimes is a, a very like progressive kind of guy, but not because not out of any like kind of progressive spirit, but more because he's not going to be told what to do. And his like hatred of the, the upper class that tries to take advantage of and treat the lower classes like crap. Like Vimes mm-hmm. is the class hero, but it's mostly out of his stubbornness. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, the next book, Men at Arms, deals a lot with like racism and kind of like affirmative action as the, as the patrician forces oh. Vimes to accept dwarves and trolls into the watch. And Vimes is just a product of his upbringing where you hate dwarves and trolls because they're not men. You know, they're not humans. And so right. he's like, and so he, you know, he, he learns that, I mean, he eventually comes to like, wait, like when you're in the watch, it doesn't matter. Like a watchman is a watchman. And yeah. so it's dealing with like society and all that. And then the the next book after that deals with like, uh, like automation and, and robots and like do, do like automatons have a soul? Like, what does it mean to like own somebody type thing? Huh. And so he just addresses these really big issues. Uh, and then Jingo is about the things that, that men at the top do to go to war so they can profit on it and huh. like, like blind patriotism. So That's I just so love, yeah, yeah, I just love what Pratchett does. Cool. With those but things. in like kind of a funny, lighthearted Correct. way. But, it never feels yeah. preachy just because mm-hmm. of the like, because Vimes isn't this like white knight character, he's a cynic. Yeah. And so Pratchett's able to deal with these, these, you know, uh, these social issues without being super preachy, just because of the, the, what's being, uh, the backdrop, um, that he's, that he's writing, that he's writing in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's really interesting, but then there's also things that I just think are so funny. Um, yeah. like, like what's the, I mean, you probably know this better than I do, but the, the whole deal where they're introducing at the beginning, all of the secret societies, <laughs> the, <laughs> like, elucid, the elucidated <laughs> brethren of the Ebon Knight. Yes, like, exactly. You I'm like, Oh, yeah. you're in the wrong place. Like they, they're, they're a block down. <laughs> Correct. Like, it was just so funny. Where, where he's knocking on the door and he yeah. gives like, you know, the, the multi like phrase yes. uh, password. And then they get to like the fourth phrase and it's like, are you sure the whale doesn't fly at midnight? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Be- because there's so many secret societies that like he's just at the wrong one. Yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. It's, oh, man. It's so funny. And, you know, and then the the whole thing of I think Carrot is such an interesting character. Yes. And the way he handles him because, you know, he thinks he's a dwarf, 
but he's not. Correct. <laughs> he's it's it's very reminiscent of Elf. Yeah. Yes, it is. That's true. Yeah, where he's uh, yeah. he's a six foot tall human. He was raised mm-hmm. by dwarves. Um, very obviously the um the heir to uh to you know Ankh Pork's ancient Clearly, yes. lineage. Yeah. yeah, and I think it works because he's not our main character. Yeah. Like because he's just such he's such that paragon of virtue. Like mm-hmm. very literal minded. Very like literally by the book like yeah. he, you know he goes through everything in the the watch manual uh, and um it would be less interesting if he was our main character and not not vimes yeah, um, yeah. and so just watching vimes watching carrot kind of bring that virtue to the watch mm-hmm. where vimes had kind of given up because the watch you know isn't taken seriously and you know they run just fast enough to where it looks like they're running but the criminals are sure to get away mm-hmm. um but then carrot comes up and just kind of shakes up their world and they're like you know what like we should be we should be like carrot we yeah. should be better than we are yeah. and so And it's just, it's bizarre how Pratchett can keep Carrot interesting through all eight of the watch books. Because he is, he he remains interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think because he's sort of, you know, he is a paragon of virtue, but he's Mm -hmm. also kind of oblivious to- Completely clueless. So many things. Completely uh, clueless. Which is just, is just great. And, you know, even like small things, which again, like what you were saying, playing with words, you know, there's, there's a scene where- Vimes, I think, tells him, okay, throw the book at him, and he literally throws a book. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Because we all understand that throw the book at him means, like, you know, bring, bring justice upon them. Right. And Carrot takes the the Antmoreport watch handbook yeah. and literally hurls it at the fleeing criminal. Yeah. It's amazing. It's like so many things like that. It's it's very funny. I think yeah. if, if that's your sense of humor, it's, yeah. No, yeah. I, I had a good time with it. Like, I... I, I do think I had some of those issues where I was like, okay, it's a little long. Yeah. I wish there were more chapter breaks, mm-hmm. um, you know, and maybe if I paced myself more, it would do. But I, I mostly had a really good experience with it and would be interested in reading more in this world. Yeah. So I'm glad I finally kind of dip my toes into this. I, well, I'm it, glad. It's, it's daunting. <laughs> There's yeah. so many books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they are, they are mostly standalone and um, you can read them really in any order as long as you're reading like within the sub-series, as long as you're reading like book one of The Watch before book four of The Watch. Okay. Um, but otherwise, like you could literally move to a completely different sub-series and just read the first book of that and have it be, have it make sense. Yeah. No, it's 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 interesting. Okay. Well, why don't you give a quick rundown for anybody listening who's not super familiar with what Discworld is and how it functions. Like, what are things people maybe should know going in? Well, um, Discworld is a world very much like our own, and this is how Pratchett uses to kind of like poke fun at, you know, the the foibles of humankind and, and of our world. But instead of a globe, um, it's a disc. It's a, it's literally a flat, uh, a flat disc that is on the back of four giant elephants <laughs> that are on the back themselves of the great space turtle, the great Atuin, who is flying <laughs> through space which is actually based on like I think a um, uh, a Hindu myth um, <laughs> somewhere. I think there is actually a a celestial turtle, giant turtle, upon which there are elephants on the back of it. Um, uh, yes, I th- we we looked this up when I was talking to people about Discworld. Mm-hmm. Um, so even that is kind of rooted in in kind of actual mythology. Mm-hmm. And um, on it, it's I mean it's just it's there it's it's like a pre-industrial. 
uh, world. Some of the Discworld books are about the discovery of like uh, the steam engine and uh, establishing a postal service or um, establishing a mint where you're printing money or a printing press, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it just is kind of parody of fantasy novels while also being satire of the real world. Like mm-hmm. we were talking about with the guards books, they're really, they take all those noir detective tropes um, and the city watch are just like, they're the, the, they're the night, the night watch of the city. Mm-hmm. And there's always a murder and it's just one big case that they follow. And so it, it, it parodies uh, cop shows, detective novels, noir uh, novels, complete with femme fatales and, you know, turns of, of, of fate. And then you have um, the wizard subseries, which is about this cowardly wizard who is um, always fleeing from from trouble. And, and that's really kind of your like globe trotting. That's where you kind of like see the world because it's always running from one location to another. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the Agatian empire, which is very, very um, much our, like uh, our China, um, the four X continent he runs to, which is like our Australia. Um, there's clatch, which is our, which is like an analogous to our middle East. Hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, so there's him. And then, uh, that also kind of is very Lovecraftian some because his magic sometimes pulls him into the dungeon dimensions, which are very filled with like Lovecraftian, like uh-huh. unspeakable beasts. So even there, he's parodying like horror books. Um, the witch novels, which follow these three witches, literally like one of them opens where they're cackling on the blasted heath and they go, when shall we three meet again? Just like from the beginning of Macbeth. Uh-huh. And one of them pulls out a day planner and is like, well, I can do next Tuesday. And they're like, well, I can't do Tuesday. Our, our Darren's getting his teeth removed. And they're like literally arguing over when they can actually meet again. And so the witches kind of are much, they're out in the countryside and they kind of um, parody uh, like myths and uh, fairy tales and stuff. So you mm-hmm. see like evil fairy godmothers or uh, wicked witches that are, or, or good witches. And mm-hmm. um, there's one where they go to like Genua, which is like New Orleans and the kind of the voodoo um, stuff. And mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. vampires. Like he, he, tur- he takes fantasy tropes and turns them on, a, on, a, on, on, on their head. In Discworld, vampires are, sophisticated and they they use garlic in their food and they wear crosses around their neck and you know because they've just like kind of they think it's so passe to be afraid of these things that that other vampires were um and the werewolves are very um where the watch is about the law the werewolves are about the lore they're like steeped in uh like this transylvanian like like mythos about what what it means to be like a werewolf and stuff so they kind of like they kind of cultivate that fear even though none of it's really true they just kind mm-hmm. of cultivate this air of mystery and so um really whatever fantasy trope there is pratchett plays with it and he does it i don't know an author who has a better mastery of the english language yeah. than the late Sir Terry Pratchett, like he knows exactly what he's doing when he chooses a word that has a double meaning here to make just this, this, this masterful pun. He's just like, he's just observation of human behavior. There's one, there's a line about Colin who is like, you know, and Sergeant Colin is just, he's this overweight, like just every man, just really like, just kind of, he's not never going to get promoted. He's just your average guy. Mm -hmm. And it says, Colin was educated at the school of um, 
it stands to reason he got his master's degree from my dad always says, and is currently getting his postdoctorate from uh, what some bloke told me at the pub. And it's like, we all know people like that who yeah. like, they're like, oh, well, you heard it somewhere. So please pass it off as like, you know, it, must, it stands to reason, right? Yeah. And so it just makes all these, this just like really specific. That's where the, the humor comes from. It's very, very mm-hmm. specific. Yeah. Um, He's just, he's just, I mean, he just is such a master of his craft while also building characters that are the same time zany, Mm -hmm. but some of the most real characters that I've read in fantasy, like they're, they're, they're human like we are. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just like, I just can't say enough for Pratchett. Now it is, everyone isn't going to like Pratchett. Like I Mm think, I think like the opening of Guards Guards with the elucidated brethren. I think (laughs) if you don't think that's funny you're not going to like Discworld. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was very funny, which yeah. it's funny. I tried to read it to my husband and he was like, what? <laughs> I was like, it's funny. He's like, well, I'm glad you're enjoying this. I do think that Discworld is one of these things that has to be read rather yeah. than, I think it's one of these things that benefits from being read rather than like having read to you, like an yeah. audiobook. I, I feel, I could see it doing well as a skit. I mean, if like Monty Python acted it out, that would yes. work. But yeah. I, but yeah, I, I, I hear you on that. I think it's like, it's a little confusing, but yeah. I thought it, I thought it was, that was hilarious. It made me laugh. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's just interesting that it's this huge world. And I think, you know, I've, I've known they existed for such a long time. And mm-hmm. I think as early as high school, I had people being like, yeah, you should read this. And I was like, I don't know. It seems weird. And, and honestly, you know, this is probably petty, but part of what probably put me off is the original covers are really oh. ugly. <laughs> so like the British ones are hideous. Like the original UK covers are so ugly yeah like, i agree no they're, they're hideous yeah. paul kidby is a very talented artist but i do not like his cover work yeah yeah no i just I, like but... he does some of the internal like illustrations from like the the illustrated ones oh, and they're true. fantastic like yeah. but those covers i mean i think that's the direction he was given but i do yeah. not like them yeah i mean well i mean even the style of the covers i could see working better as an internal illustration but for a cover it's yeah. just not one they're too busy way yeah. too busy yeah it's yeah it's <laughs> Yeah. going on which is why i think when i did decide to read guards guards i got one of the fancy hardcover editions which had nice. beautiful covers mm-hmm. um unfortunately they're a little pricey so i don't know how quickly i will acquire them but they're oh, very yeah. pretty. Well, those actually go on those go on sale every now and then where they're oh. like half price with like 12 bucks which is That's, way better that is pretty good i'll have to get yeah. for that interesting okay good to know okay one thing too is there there are just kind of these random oddball things like the fact that the librarian is an orangutan. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that come in the second book, he's a wizard. Like, cause the, the okay. unseen university is the, is the wizard Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where for, for uh, JK Rowling had, had was very well versed in Discworld. Like she based some of her stuff based on stuff that, uh, you know, she mm-hmm. borrowed from Pratchett with her wizard university. And um, in, uh, in the second book, Rincewind, that magic that's out of control that kind of summons the dungeon dimension creatures, it kind of goes berserk, and that's where he gets turned into an orangutan. Okay. It's just it's just a random blast of magic. But the thing is, is at the end, he doesn't want to go back. He likes being an orangutan better because mm-hmm. 
no one like he doesn't have to talk to people anymore. He can just hang out with his books. And so <laughs> that happens in book two. And and he stays that way throughout every single Discord book. He just it likes being an orangutan. He can mm-hmm. get around. He can get around the library easier. I mean, you saw in Guards Guards, there's something called L space where yeah. libraries are bigger on the inside. Um, and then they are like, the outside. They, like can cross sort of time and dimensions. That was so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, it deals, a, it deals a lot. The library is a really, really mystical place mm. in Discworld. And so we see a lot of action in the library where it's like that kind of like threadbare uh, walls between dimensions happen uh, where all of these books and all of these words meet. Hmm. Um, and, and then, you know, it's Pratchett's love letter to the power of words. Like, the, like, yeah. like Pratchett knew that words have so much power and I just love the way he harnesses, he harnessed his in writing these just, ah, I love this girl so much. (laughs) I love it. I mean, I love that you're so excited about it too. And I think that, that that's part of what made me want to try it. I was like, okay, I really need to just, just, just do this and (laughs) give it a try. I did not, I did not mention the, um, the the final subseries, which is death. Death is a, is pretty much everyone's favorite character in the Discworld. Everyone who's read multiple Discworld books really, they like death the most. I am slightly different in that I like, I prefer um, Vimes, the, the class mm-hmm. hero. But death is, he views what he does as a job and he's very sad that people aren't happy to see him because he's very lonely, <laughs> but he understands that his job is to, is to, you know, usher souls into the afterlife. Yeah. And so he shows up and so death's books constantly deal with um, they're the most like philosophical and kind of existential of the Discworld novels because they always ask like they always ask questions about what it means to be alive and um, you know what the purpose of existence and what the purpose of humanity is. And in the first book, he takes on an apprentice, and even I mean Pratchett even knew what people say about teachers. There's a line in Mort where he's like, "It appears, boy, that you have no discernible skills at all. Have you considered teaching?" And it's just like, <laughs> "You got it, Pratchett. You know." <laughs> Um, and so he takes on an apprentice, and once he has this apprentice, he's like, you know what? I'm going to go on vacation because that's something that humans do. And mm-hmm. so he has this house because he knows that people are supposed to live in houses, mm-hmm. and he has a bathroom because he knows houses are supposed to have bathrooms, and he knows there's supposed to be fancy towels in the bathroom, but the towels don't work because Death doesn't know how ta- – he doesn't understand how towels work. <laughs> he just knows that you're supposed to have them. Mm-hmm. So he's this – He's the Grim Reaper who desperately wants to be human and mm-hmm. wants to connect. And so, like, you feel for death a lot because we all, you know, we all have that that desire for connection. Mm-hmm. And in the second one, he's fired. And so he's like, okay. And so he becomes a farmer. And he doesn't want to go back to being death. He just wants to – his name is Bill Dore, and he just wants to farm on his farmland. And then um, in one, he his granddaughter has to take over because he becomes a rock star. He's like, you know what? I'm going to go play music. And uh, and then he becomes Santa Claus in one. And then he has to like sort out like someone st- literally steals time. And so he's got to go sort that one out. And that one is super philosophical. But wow. he's always trying to not be death. He wants to be anything <laughs> but the Grim Reaper. Mm-hmm. And it's just so relatable. And uh, so people really, really um, like him. He also has a sidekick called the Death of Rats, where it's literally a mouse skeleton that <laughs> kills mice <laughs> instead of people. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because in Guards Guards, you do see 
these like mini scenes when people die where i guess death comes to get them so yeah that's interesting yeah he's he's in he's in pretty much every single book um but the his series he's like the main character Mm -hmm. watching him be santa claus is I mean, that is what sold me on Discworld is Hogfather. <laughs> and the the BBC actually did a uh, TV movie of Hogfather that is actually pretty good. Huh. Um, my wife hasn't uh, read any Discworld, but I showed her the movie and she actually liked it. Okay. Death is it's just so funny. We can talk about Guards, Guards. Yeah. I, I really like him playing on million to one chances, you know, because people are like, yeah, yeah, that's a million to one. And they're sitting there trying. Trying to calculate whether it, it's actually a million to one. Correct. Because you've never heard the phrase, it's it's a 999,885 uh, to one chance, but it just <laughs> right. might work. You never hear that. Yeah. Only it's a million to one chance, but it just might work. So we better make it harder to make cool. sure that it's a million to one. Correct. So they blindfold themselves, stand on one foot, like spin around and make themselves... St- and it's just like who thinks of that stuff mm-hmm. to like to play on something that is just he he takes all this conventional wisdom yeah. and examines it and then you know uh does something with it like plays against it it's just really really funny yeah yeah well it's interesting and then i think like i think the is it the patrician i love Um, the patrician he's so interesting he you know like he has all of these plans he's like you know never build a dungeon that you wouldn't want to spend time in (laughs) so you know when he gets put in the dungeon he's like i'm just gonna run everything from here i have a plan it's yes the patrician (laughs) is so so many fantasy authors try that kind of like hyper intelligent, like very aristocratic, sophisticated gentleman villain, mm-hmm. right? And so many times they do not succeed. Where Terry Pratchett here with the patrician in really all of the books that he's in is the perfect example of that archetype because mm-hmm. he he really has thought ahead. Yeah. He really does know everything in advance. He's a combination of Machiavelli and the Medici uh, merchant princes mm. from Renaissance, uh, you know, Italy. And that's what Pratchett had in mind when he wrote him. So these these, these diabolical merchant yeah. princes, because, you know, Lorenzo Medici was, you know, completely cutthroat. Mm-hmm. And then we all know Machiavelli certainly was. And so the patrician is, is those guys writ large. And yeah. so he does like... He's the evil overlord and he has a dungeon, but he also knows that, you know, every now and then there's revolution and they might throw you into the dungeon. So you need to be prepared to spend there. Also, he has he could get out if he wanted to. He stays there by choice right. because, you know, he's going to let Vimes do what he needs to do. And so I love that he is really good at predicting what people are going to do. And in one of the – I think it's in the third book, um, his assistant is like – because – the patrician uses Vimes, you know, this this class hero, mm-hmm. to keep the aristocrats in line. Because where Vetinari has to pretend where he's kind of like, he has to pretend with the aristocrats and like be like, oh, no, you got, oh, you still have power. Oh, don't worry. I'm not, it's not just me that's in charge. He has to let them feel important. He instead riles Vimes up and lets Vimes go after the aristocrats. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, his, his assistant is like, sir, like, I think if we, if Vimes didn't exist, you would have had to create him. And, and the patrician's like, I rather think I did because, because <laughs> he did. Because of course is, he did. <laughs> I know. And so it's just, it's just brilliant the way yeah. there's a scene at the end of every one of the guards books 
between Vimes and the Patrician. There's always a Patrician confrontation scene at the end. Mm -hmm. And they're always some of the most tense and some of the most like layered with subtext as people are saying, you know, as they're, they're, they're saying things, but meaning other things. Yeah. And it's just, it's just so good. And Vimes is constantly like, yes, sir. And like, pretend like what, sir? I don't know what you mean, sir. And Vetinari's like, you know exactly what I mean, Vimes. Like, if you say sir with that stupid look on your face one more time, I'm going to be upset. And he's like, oh, sorry, sir. Because they both know how to get each- get under each other's skin. It's just, yeah. it's just such a great relationship between the ruler of the city and the guy in charge of keeping the peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's I, I just found him so interesting because... You know, I can see the Machiavelli thing, and that makes a lot of sense. But I think he he thinks he's right. Like, he thinks that he knows what human nature is, and yes. this is just the way things are, and my job is just to make sure things are actually functioning and be kind of this puppet master, like, keeping everything moving smoothly. Um, which, which is interesting, and I, I think that's the thing, is writing a villain who doesn't think they're a villain is really the key to doing it well. Yes. <laughs> Yes. And, and you're right. Like Vetinari, he understands human nature so much, which is why he doesn't get rid of crime. Mm -hmm. Instead, he, he, uh, makes it like he sanctions it. He, he organizes it to where it pays taxes, you know, and he, and that's why no one really ever overthrows him because they're like, well, we hate Vetinari, but at least stuff works. Mm -hmm. Like there's no disruption of trade and all that stuff. And so I think you're right. He thinks that he knows everything. And then people like Carrot, who behave completely <laughs> selflessly mm-hmm. without any regard for their self-interest, mm-hmm. those are the kind of people that throw him for a loop. Like, yeah. I don't think Vetinari can predict Carrot's behavior Yeah, because he doesn't act like other people. He ha- doesn't have a self-interested bone in his body. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is so interesting, right? Having somebody who's like, this is just how humanity writ large is. Correct. And doesn't believe that anybody can be truly heroic or selfless. Yes. And so if someone is, it's like, wait, what? And I, I love yeah, that. What's your angle? Yeah, which, you know, like, and I've met people who are more cynical about humanity and mm-hmm. feel that way in real life. So I, th- I think it's interesting too, because like, I know people like some, I mean, you know, maybe not running a city for instance, but yeah. you know, I've known people with worldviews similar to the patrician and more similar to carrot. And I just think that the tension there is really, really interesting. And Vimes, like the fact that he will push back and in some ways sort of stand up. Oh, 100%. <laughs> and, and Vimes, there's some like, there's a line in one of the books where Carrot catches these guys who are like tangential to the crime or whatever, and something they they made mm-hmm. um, ended up uh, killing um, this woman and her and her child. Like, and, but they live in like the 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 shades, which is the port, the ghetto, the slums of um, of Ankh-Morpork. Pork. Mm-hmm. And he catches them, and he and he's like, he's like, guys, your thing caused the death of a woman and her child. And the the guy says, were they important? And Carrot loses his smile and is Mm -hmm. like, I was feeling bad for you, but it is your lucky day that I caught you before Vimes did. Because (laughs) that is so indicative of what makes Vimes such an amazing character. Mm -hmm. If you said that to Vimes, like Vimes would go spare, as they say in the watch books. Vimes, that is the exact kind of attitude that Vimes is antithetical towards. Mm-hmm. That 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 idea that somehow 
certain lives are worth more than others. And yeah. Vimes, and that is what I love so much about Vimes, is he is he is not going to stand for the the aristocrats, the people at the top, acting like their lives are are more important than the people he grew up with. Because mm-hmm. he grew up in the slums. Mm-hmm. And so that is what that's what just makes Vimes such a relatable character mm-hmm. in that like like how dare you ask if they were important. Like they died. Like of course they were important, but you know, most people don't feel that way. And so Vimes is just such a, ah, I love yeah. I love Commander Vimes. Yeah, no, I I see that and I think he's 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 interesting. I mean, one thing too that we could talk about with it is he has in this book sort of a romance subplot. Yes. <laughs> which, so which is very entertaining. Yes, it's so bizarre because Vimes and Lady Sybil who is one of from one of the the oldest families in Ackmore Pork. She's one of the oldest aristocratic families. Yeah. She's one of the wealthiest women in in the city and that is what makes it such a that's what it's just such a great juxtaposition mm-hmm. because he he marries in to this high society that oh, he despises. They, get, they end up getting married. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah, they're they're married at the start of book 2. Okay. Um and so or maybe they're the whole that maybe the thing is he's getting married in book two, but okay. yeah. So he marries into this society, and he despises it. And so she simultaneously tries to get him to you know do his duty as a as you know a member of the nobility, but she also knows that you cannot take the watchman out of Vimes. Mm-hmm. Like he also has to have the chase. He's got to hunt the criminals. Um, and so it's really interesting watching Vimes. But again, the patrician even uses that to his advantage. So he starts, you know, since Vimes is now part of the aristocracy, he now throws Vimes as an as an aristocrat at the aristocracy because Vimes doesn't know how to politic at all. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't. Li- he's he all of the like you know the the sneaky and and double speak. He just like says it like it is and says, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's dumb. Like that's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Like no. And and everyone just gets up in arms and that's the way veterinary likes it the patrician likes the nobility kind of uh off their off their game like not on even footing and so it's just wonderful the relationship between vimes and and sybil and it's in book five of the watch the fifth element elephant he she finally like we learn a lot more about sybil and a lot more about their relationship and it's just it's just really touching and really well done. And this is something that is really one of the worst offenses about the TV show, The Watch, that just came out in January. Oh. It, it First of all, it, it's so bad. It's so bad that Terry Pratchett's uh, daughter says, yeah, it bears no DNA to my, my dad's watch at all. Wow. Neil, yeah, Neil Gaiman said that it, I mean, yeah, it's The Watch, the same way that a guy in a yellow trench coat um, who hangs around with bats is the new is, is Batman. Like it's <laughs> oh wow, Neil Gaiman. It, the thing, <laughs> it's what they do is they make. There's so much bad about it, but what ticks me off the most is that Sybil is a big woman. She is described as like a Wagnerian like lady. She is yeah. she is large and yeah. that's part of her backstory. She's always been large. Yeah. Like she's not this svelte beautiful woman. She's this big lady who 
keeps dragons mm-hmm. like like normal like like other spinster women would keep cats. Yeah, you know which I, mean? I liked it. I thought it was I thought she was so interesting and Yes. And even, the thing- well, and even at the end of the at the end of Guards Guards when she kind of well, it's funny too cuz she basically sort of seduces him into a relationship. Yes. <laughs> like the whole process is so funny to me. Um but, you know, his thought process is like well, you know, she's, I don't remember exactly what he thinks, but but something along the lines of like realizing, well, you know, I guess she is pretty attractive and like, you know, I'm not gonna like better than anybody else I would meet. I don't know. It's just like the whole. Yeah, Vimes doesn't, laugh. he didn't really think about that, yeah. that stuff. He's just like, um, she just, I mean, they just, it's such, it's a really organic relationship. Yeah. Like it's not forced or like, but Another great thing about Sybil is at the end, they she asks them not to kill the dragon that's yeah. like been killing people because yeah. that is where Sybil's strength comes from is her compassion and her mm-hmm. mercy. Mm-hmm. And in this TV show, one, they make her this this pretty skinny woman. Of course they do. They always and, do that. <laughs> and and they make her they make her they make her BA. Like oh. they make her an axe wielding, you know, like super heroine, oh, like a Laura no. Croft type. And it's just like, that is not, and she even has a line where like, you have to, if you want power, you have to take it oh, to vibes. No. no, That is not who Sybil is. No. Sybil is not this Amazon like awesome fighter. She's, she's just a woman who's not super comfortable in her own skin, mm-hmm. who has a lot of like love to give to both uh, human humankind and animal kind, mm-hmm. and making her this fighting warrior is completely antithetical to the point. Yeah, Pratchett is saying that compassion and mercy is strength. Yeah, it's so frustrating that yeah. that's what they think we all we all want. Of course. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely see that. No, she, she, I think she's such an interesting character. And I, I imagined her kind of like, um, oh, I, I don't know who, I, I can't quite put my finger on it. But like, I know there's a character from a movie or something somewhere that it, she, like, I, she reminds me of, um, but kind of, but almost like more of like a, gentle g- giant type lady i don't know you yeah. know what i mean like like t- very tall and and imposing but kind and takes care of all these dragons and is very nerdy and she's like a so- female hagrid yes yes yeah exactly she's, she's yes like a female hagrid. she's like a female ha- that's exactly yeah she's like a female hagrid and she'll you know if you get her started she'll go off on all of these my the the minutia of, of dragon, dragon habitats and dragon <laughs> yeah. diseases and it's just like i'm like okay yes yeah, yeah. you know i think i think it's great yeah so she's just she's just such a good she's such a good character and um there's a, a female watchman uh that comes in the second book who's also a really great uh kind of strong female character as mm-hmm. well um uh she's much more like she's like the straightest of the straight men when it comes to like uh, comedic. She is absolutely plays it straight, even more so than Carrot. Oh, so wow. she is like the like serious one that that there's really no joke about her at all. Like it, it, Carrot's the straight man, but he's also the like I take everything super literally. Yeah. But she has her own thing that makes her special. But that's, okay. that that is a spoiler. The stuff about symbolism, but that is a spoiler. Okay. <laughs> Um, but it's it's just great. Like, yeah. and he, with every subsequent book, he you know he it touches more and more on um, you know the character work with with Vimes, Carrot, 
Angua and Sybil especially. Colin and Nobbs are supposed to be static. Like they're just they're just the ignorant masses. That's what they are. They're mm-hmm. they're the mob. They have the opinions of of the masses. They have the they're just like they're kind of stand in for the culture at large. Mm-hmm. And so when they say dumb, insensitive, kind of like uh, you know, inappropriate things, we look at them and are like, ah, oh, well, you know, at least we're not Colin and Nobby, you know, and they, and they kind of learn from their their mistakes as well. And that's the and that's why Vimes is so great is that he's ignorant, but he's not dumb enough to know that he isn't ignorant. Like as he learn as he gets new information, he's like, oh. I guess I just hated dr- trolls and dwarves because that's just what you do. These mm-hmm. guys are fine. Like mm-hmm. Vimes overcomes his prejudices, hmm. which is which also makes him a great character. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's it's I I think talking through it, you realize how much nuance there is yeah to the book. Um which it it, it is impressive and just the the sheer volume of wordplay. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's all the time. It's amazing. Yeah, like, wordplay and cult, pop cultural references. Mm-hmm. Like, there's references in that book in Guards Guards to Casablanca, um, Dirty. Yes, Harry. I yeah. okay, I caught the Casablanca one. That was funny. Um, uh, there's <laughs> um, like, and isn't that like the 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 romance thing? He needs to say something, and he's like, he said the first thing that popped into his head. Here's looking at you, kid. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And. And this is stuff that it's fine if you don't know what the reference is, but when you understand the reference, yeah. like it works on an, on on, on uh, another level, and that's mm-hmm. why every time I go back and read Discworld, because I know more than I did the last time I read, mm-hmm. I always catch new stuff. That's fun. I mean, even the 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 motto on um, on their badge in Latin, it literally says "Make my day, punk." on that's it's <laughs> that's what the motto on their badge says so it's a dirty hairy um that's reference that's funny yeah well and i think even um i can't think of any examples off the top of my head right now but i i was noticing too frequently the names that he would use would have kind of double meanings to them that i thought were funny yeah um he has um can you think of any uh, I'm see this is I, sh- I should have taken notes while I was reading. <laughs> there's one from the book I just finished. There's a there's a, a an orphan whose name is the Artful Nudger instead of the Artful Dodger, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, yeah. are you kidding me? Funny. It's just stuff like that all the time. Yeah. Well, I even thought um, the way it was originally introduced, like colon, is interesting because it's it like. It's similar to Colin, which is actually a name, but it's a little different. And it's yeah. like the body part, like the body part, basically, <laughs> yeah. which is appropriate for his character. So like th- little stuff like that that I just think is funny or ah, I'm going to have to. I I love with Colin that Vimes wonders because um, they have like six children and he works all night and she works all day. So Vimes is like. He assumed they had six children through the use of very persuasive handwriting because they leave each other notes because they never see each other. Yeah. So Vimes is like, how do they have children? So it must have been some steamy notes. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then at the end, like when he gets a pay raise, he's like, well, my wife's very happy with me. She's writing much nicer notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And at the end, when literally Patricia would, Patricia's expecting them to ask for all these things for saving the city. And they ask for a slight pay raise yeah. and a dartboard. <laughs> and, and a new and a new kettle. Oh, and a new kettle. And they're terrified to ask him for they're it. They're terrified for the dartboard. They're like, ah, oh, it was a step too far. Exactly. They thought they it. went too far asking for the dartboard. <laughs> and he thinks they're going to ask for like a bunch of riches. Oh, it's yeah, just, yeah. It's it's hysterical. And yeah. that 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 comes back into play in the second book, the mm-hmm. dartboard. Yeah. Ugh, it's, just, it's just so funny. There's just, yeah, there were just like so many small things that were throughout the book that I just found found funny. Or even, you know, when they're they're trying to get somebody to stop the dragon and they're put they're like oh we'll pay fifty thousand whatever and all of the the monster hunters are like mm, no no you're supposed to give us half your kingdom and your daughter well yes. he doesn't have a daughter so eh, forget it <laughs> exactly like and that's playing on the standard like you know fairy tale tropes like if you mm-hmm. save the kingdom you get to marry the king's daughter exactly but the patrician doesn't have a daughter <laughs> like he has an aunt <laughs> i forgot about he has an aunt <laughs> I forgot about he has an aunt. (laughs) (laughs) That's good stuff. That is good stuff. Oh, man. No, it is. It's really funny. So, you know, for anybody listening, like, uh, hopefully this is encouraging you to give at least give them a try because yeah. i'm glad i did and i will probably read more of them in the future it's, it's, well it's um my uh my discworld crew over in uh in my discord we we use it as um kind of palate cleansers between all these like you know really heavy fantasies that uh, yeah. we're constantly reading like sometimes it's just like i mean and you i mean you read like you know 80 books a month so you, <laughs> I mean, you, I mean, I mean, but from, yeah, I do from, a lot. from various genres. Like, but yeah. I mean, you know, we're over here reading like nothing but just like just fantasy and just like the law, like, oh, everybody dies. And right. it's so like see, reading a Discworld book after that is just like it's like stepping outside in a cool breeze yeah. to just like reset. So they, they totally really, really that. help from getting out of slumps. I see that. I I probably use romance that way. Nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I I see how that would definitely be helpful because it's true. Like you can only do so much. Like grim things are oh, at the end of the world. Just depressed. I need yeah. to watch Vimes arrest a bad guy. Right. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So I guess maybe kind of last thing is like, what would you? encourage people to start i mean we have talked about the guards guard is is a good place to start do you have recommendations in terms of depending on people's genre preferences for instance like what what are what are some good entry points into Discworld? um well if you um if you like like really old school um fantasy like uh, like uh, Conan the Barbarian, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That is very much start with Color of Magic at the beginning, the very first book, because that is really kind of the tropes it plays with. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's uh, this barbarian group called the Silver Horde, where they're all like octogenarian barbarians, like 80-year-old barbarians like that, are, that have like conquered the countryside. Um, so it's very sword and sorcery, like the old, um, those old, you know, bikini-clad women <laughs> Uh, fantasy art kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's very much that style. So if you're if you're a fan of like the old school, like Conan the Barbarian stuff, um, start with Color of Magic. Um, 
if you like, if you are into like fairy tales and um, theater, uh, go with the witch books. Start with um, Equal Rights because Weird Sisters is literally Macbeth. <laughs> but like, it's like a play within a play and there's a Duke and his, you know, evil wife and the witches and the witches are, are the quote unquote witches from Macbeth. It's, it's fantastic. I'm going to have to do the witches. It sounds oh. very much up my alley. Yeah. And it's, and um, also masquerade that book of the witches is literally based on um, the Phantom of the Opera. So it's filled uh. with musical theater references and stuff. <laughs> oh, that's fun. So um, the witches are definitely, and the witches are hilarious. Like they're granny weatherwax is your standard wicked witch, but she's not, she's just, she's just wants to be left alone. And then you have the standard, like kind of like witch that, uh, when, when people assume we're witch, like the granny, the granny of the town, she's like the, the herbalist and, you know, is related to like everybody. It has like, you know, 10 kids. And she's also the midwife that delivers everybody's babies and mm-hmm. has all the old, the old wives tale remedies. Mm-hmm. Her name's Nanny Og. And she has this like this demon cat that looks like it's like one big scar because it gets in fights all the time. It's got one eye and an eye patch. <laughs> um, and uh, and then there's the young witch in training who's like, she's just like, oh, but can we pick flowers? And, you know, they're like, no, like, come on, quit picking flowers. Um, and so, 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 so that's for that. Um, if you're interested in like, you know, like I said, the philosophical, more like existential works, um, the death books start with Mort are the way to go. Um, detective noir stuff. It's the guards. And yeah, those are, those are all really good smarting starting places. There's, um, Great. a standalone called small gods. That is pretty good as a starting place where it, it's just a book by itself. I like to read that a little later after you understand a little more about like the Discworld, mm-hmm. but it can be a good starting place as well. Where one of these, like it's essentially Zeus gets turned into a little turtle. And so he can't smite people anymore. So it's this really angry turtle hanging around with one of his acolytes, like being like, smite that person. And he can only make like little, little static sparks appear. And he's like, dang it. I cannot smite them. Turn me back. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so it's really man. funny. That's great. Awesome. Well, I think that is hopefully really helpful for anybody who's interested in getting into the series. And I, I, yeah, thank you for coming on and talking about it. Cause I think thank you for having me. Yeah, this was really fun. And I will, I will definitely need to read more. Um, guys, if you want to check out Alan's channel, it will be linked in the show notes. He's very funny and talks about a lot of great sci-fi fantasy stuff on YouTube. Again, this has been Chapter 3 Podcast, and I'm your host, Bethany. You can follow us on Twitter at Chapter 3 Podcast, and you can also find me on YouTube at Beautifully Bookish Bethany talking about even more books. Our next episode is going to be available in two weeks, so tune back in then. And the bonus content for this episode, which we will be recording right after this, is going to be available to patrons in the next few days. Thanks for listening.